0: blind.org. That's blind.org. The National Federation of the Blind. Live the life you want. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities investment advisory services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA/SIPC. Grove Point Financial and Kelch & Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only.
1: Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the Studio. I'm Tom King. Looks like a beautiful day out there, but it is freezing. But we are here in the studio and able to take your phone calls as Merle Kelch joins us this morning. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning. Uh, It was so cold this morning, there was a dog and he didn't want to stay out. I see. Okay. I thought the punchline would be better than that, but okay. It's well, I, I was thinking about
0: one, but I, I curved it right at the end.
1: <laughs> right. Curved it as well. 715 845 2155. If you have a question regarding your portfolio, your investment strategies, maybe you're getting close to retirement. I know one of your clients, very close to me, celebrating a birthday today, and uh, it's one of those big birthdays that uh, you look at as you get close to retirement age. Maybe we could talk a little bit about about that some things that people need to do with their portfolio as they get close to the day they are actually going to hang it up. What what are some things they should they should prepare beforehand? Define hang it up. Well, I, obviously there will be yeah. some part-time work I would imagine involved, but I mean to give up the full-time employment at, at a retirement age whether it's 65, or now that nowadays, even longer, 67, 68. Some people work, mm-hmm. some people working in their 70s. Sure. Um, what are some things maybe the uh, I obviously in the what three months beforehand, you've got to sign up for Medicare and, and, and Medicaid. What, what, what else are some things that, that you should look at, at your portfolio, maybe, maybe to adjust at that point?
0: Ideally, when you're coming up into retirement, the portfolio is already adjusted. So, um, ideally, well, when should that be done? Um, 40? Really? Yeah, yeah. So let me back sure back up what I'm saying. If, if you start working with a financial professional, the new term that's out there, folks, I'm sorry, I can't make it up. It's just what we have to use now. But if you start working with a financial professional, they'll already start structuring your portfolio so that when you retire, it's just nothing more than turning on switches that you need or moving money from one place to another. But your portfolio should almost already be set. You know, in in theory, Tom, it it doesn't make any difference that if you turn 65 versus if you were 62 or 60, that your portfolio makes this huge structural swing and change. That's different thinking now, though, right? It used to be when you got to retirement,
1: moving money
0: from the stock market into bonds was an automatic thing, right? um, It it, it was, you know, back in the 70s. Um, And and the reason for that is that at that point in time, we look at our longevity and our life expectancy. You know, um, even when I took my license, folks, which was, you know, 30 some years ago, um, when we took our license, what part of it was, you know, when the person retires, you have to take their portfolio and you have to put it inside of government, U.S. government bonds. And that's just that was literally some of the questions on tests. But but again, when these these kind of rules were popped up where um, and I'm not saying you don't do that, by the way, folks. So let me rephrase that. But the thinking at that point in time was you're retiring at 65, your life expectancy was like, you know, 69. So that made sense then, but it, it doesn't anymore. You know, statistically, and I don't know the exact statistic now, but I, I know the one from a, a number of years ago here, and I'm pretty close. Is if we hit a joint age between husband and wife of 61, uh, there's like an 84% probability of one of us will be alive by age 90. So we can't just at 65 take our whole portfolio and put it inside of bonds and say, okay, we're good. We're going to retire because we're going to run out of money. So there, there's nothing worse than. Being 80 years old, Tom, and having to talk to your son-in-law and, or, uh, or daughter-in-law and saying, hey, I have to move in. I mean, you know, a lot of guys would rather just take a long walk and a short night in, should, a cold, uh, in the cold than to, you know.
1: I should probably have that conversation now because that's going to happen at some
0: point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting, though, but we, we can't do that. And a lot of people think, okay, I retire. I don't have to do anything. I'm not going to touch my investments anymore. And, and no, that's the time you have to be mindful probably more than anything else. You have to make sure you're taking out your gain. You're making sure that things are working right. Um, so, so do some people when they retire say, okay, I want to be more conservative? Sure, some people do. Some people say, I want to keep it going exactly as it is. But it's a conversation you would have had years, ideally, years coming up into retirement with a financial professional. If not, start talking to somebody a year ahead of time saying, hey, I'm looking at retiring in a year. What preparations I want to make? And part of that conversation is, you know, who's going to continue to do your taxes while you're uh, going on? A big thing that's out there right now is, is, you know, who's my trusted contact going to be? In fact, we actually have something that's going to go out to all of our clients in the next few weeks. Um, The uh, FINRA and uh, others are saying, uh, okay, we want to have a trusted contact listed on a sheet, whether you have a will or a trust or uh, have whatever you want. Um, um, but we're going to have a trust of contact just in case something's a little squirrely and you start doing stuff a little bit different or somebody's trying to take money out of your account. There's a trust of contact other than Merle to be able to help answer those questions. Now, that's
1: different than a power of attorney for financial affairs?
0: It, it's kind of that way, but it's not one where they can do something. It's one that's a trust of contact. and can contact somebody in the, in the family typically and say, hey, um, uh, mom or dad or brother or sister's uh, acting a little off here. Is there somebody in the family that might be the power of attorney that can step in and say, are things going the right direction? And we've had to do that with a few, a few times with clients, and it's we're all getting older. It, you know, we're all going to start forgetting stuff. Like I forgot my keys to get in the office this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again for bailing me out, Tom. Yeah. Um, so 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 with it, you know that 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 becomes part of the plan. So You say, okay, we can look at the number stuff, but uh, you know, who's going to be our trusted contact? Uh, do we have a will or a trust in place? What do the taxes look like? Who's going to prepare the taxes as years go on? Are we going to use the same person? That's all stuff we want to get done. Start a year in advance if you haven't done anything before, um, at least a year in advance. How is Social Security going to look when income? Am I going to work part-time afterwards? Where are we going to work? Um, are we going to work? Where are we going to live? You know, so all of that is all part of that preparation you want to do. You know, right now, Florida seems like a really nice place to, to be just because it's warm. Um, I didn't say any other reason, uh, but, you <laughs> know, uh, <laughs> you know, but if there's it, it, a particular city we want. I mean, so all that sort of stuff has to be practiced, researched, and that whole bit. And maybe starting out a year in advance is the is the direction and the place to go.
1: I'm not moving anywhere where if you fall asleep in your backyard, uh, you can wake up with a gator in your lap. All right, let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Hi, this is Bill. Hey, Bill, you're on with Merle. Go My ahead, Bill. Good morning. Well, I just got a trust done, and I wanted to tell everybody that it cost me thirty-two hundred, and I did it over in Minneapolis, and the prices here are between the five and six thousand range. And so there's quite a bit of price difference. So if you shop around a little, it's well worth it. You mean for a trust, you said? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir.
0: Lots of different types of trusts that are out there. So, um, yeah, I mean, like anything else, shop around. Make sure you're getting uh, value for the dollar you're spending. Thank you, now. All right, right, now thanks, Bill. Thanks for the call.
1: Appreciate it. Um, Okay, Uh, obviously, when we have Alan on the show, I'll have to ask him that, about the differences between a a trust prepared in Minnesota as a – opposed to a trust-prepared
0: here. Well, and, I would and, just look why at why would there Sorry, be Bill, a, I'm going to pick on you. but uh, Why would there be such a big difference in price? Well, they're Vikings fans. Ah, I see. I
1: see. Yeah. <laughs> all right. 715-845-2155. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call here this morning. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a topic we kick around every once in a while. I don't think we've touched on it in a while. But when, we, when you get asked about a particular stock or a particular company, and I'm sure you get asked all the time when you're – around the campfire or out having drinks or whatever the case may be someone will come up to you and say hey i just heard about this xyz company and i think you sure. found out at one point there was an xyz company but yes we can um, use that we have to right. make a couple different all right numbers. um and you always talk about the thing you look at first is is the is the company making a profit mm-hmm. and also you know obviously profits and earnings lists uh, are are the thing that most people look at first are there other things that you look at when it comes to a particular company or a stock that should be on people's radars outside of those obvious ones?
0: Sure. You know, I just got to give this as an example. So one of our clients is a clients client of ours and um, highly educated and do a lot of work in research in infill stocks. And they'll go up with some companies that are just some great names, and, and so they'll pop up and say, well, Merle, what do you think? So, well, is it making money? And so that's always my first question. We, we actually bought one this past week that didn't make money. Obviously, I'm not going to say the name of the company, folks. But we propped up one, and she says, what do you think of this stock? And I look at the stock, and I said, on the outside, it looks good. It was a biotech fund. and uh, I'm not sorry not about fund, of biotech company. So they do um, genetic manipulation and medications based upon uh, genetic manipulation versus other stuff. Probably not real far off from the mRNA stuff that was done uh, recently. So... Um, new company, it's been public for about two years, and so we pull up the numbers on it, and uh, there's not a profit dollar made at all. It's all going out. You look at it, it's minuses all over the place. And, uh, you know, so our first question is, is, so for whatever you put in here is just nothing more than a bet. So they're well-seasoned. They said, yep, we knew that, we remember. So um, I said, the other thing is, when you're looking at some of this stuff, it may not make you a dollar for three to five years because a lot of this technology um, especially within in bios, X, that kind of stuff. If it hits, it hits really, really big, but it takes a long time to get there, um, uh, especially now that they're public. Uh, and so that was our conversation. So there was a, a stock that we um, had in this particular instance. Um, um, I Not that I have a stamp of approval. Mine's more like a stamp of warnings before you go ahead. was the technology's really good. It's something that's new in technology. They've already come public. They've already raised enough money to come to this point in time. But everything is going in there from investors into this company to make it continue to go. So this one we got because of the potential into the future. So and, and that's part of it too. We look at it and say, okay, if it's not making money now, what's its potential going off into the future? Um, we saw this in our lifetime with with Facebook. When oh, Amazon. I, I was wrong. going to think Amazon, Amazon too. Amazon didn't make a yeah.
1: profit for years and years and years. Yeah,
0: but but their potential what they were doing is people like we think what they, we like where they're going to go into the future. Even when Facebook first came out, we looked at it and said, well, I, I, my first thought was, why is Facebook going up? It wasn't until they started capturing advertising revenue that we looked at it and said, okay, now we're making money, we're good. So so we have to look at that and say, what's the potential of the company? So that's part of it. You know, what's the potential? Are their earnings, are they making money, or are they making profit? Because that's the biggest thing I like to look at. If a company's not making money, it's going to fail unless there's a lot of money going in because their idea is so good. Um, I, of course, like you know, looking at it. As I said before, what's the momentum of the company? Is there a company who was once great and now is fading? And one of the biggest ones on here was member Kodak, you know, with all the film. And now there's no film. Well, a little bit. But, you know, so so we look at that stuff. You have to look at where's the company going. Of course, competition. I want to come back to that in just a moment. But let's go to the
1: phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, this is Ron. Hey, Ron, you're on with more. Go ahead.
0: Hey, i uh, got a question for you. I'm mm-hmm. 60 years old, and I have both. Traditional and Roth IRAs. Uh-huh. At what point, or does it at
1: any point, does it make any sense to convert a, a traditional to a Roth? Where you
0: know financially, you know, it would make sense. Um, are you still working, Ron? Yes. Okay. So, so here's the thing: when you read a, a book or a paper or an article, they always have an opinion on here and saying you have to do it or you have not or don't do it. One of those two. Um, but the thing is, is 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 what's right for Ron. Okay, does that make sense? Yes. Here's what I try to look at. I'll look at it and say, okay, if Ron and Ron, we're gonna you're gonna make income now, so hang on, I'm gonna make stuff up. <clears throat> so Ron's making uh um sixty five thousand dollars a year and he's single, but the cutoff threshold might be at seventy two so thousand dollars for his tax bracket to say the same. So in that, that would allow Ron then to take from uh what's the numbers that are you use sixty two to seventy yeah. two? Well it is now. Um, so that allows Ron to have an, a $10,000 increase um, in his income, and he doesn't change his tax bracket at all. So we look at that. Because Ron is now over 59 and a half. we can say, well, we're going to take uh, uh, $15,000 from Ron's uh, IRA, withhold the taxes, and then take $10,000 of that and put it into the Roth IRA in a conversion. Um, is that a better idea? Well, we look at it and say, okay, we take the discount for the taxes. We put the money inside of an investment. Now it's going to grow tax-free indefinitely. And Ron, at 60 years old, you're pretty good probability you're still going to be here for another 25 years or so. And we look at it and say, does the math work? And the answer is, yeah, as long as we're not using CDs. So some people look at it and say, well, geez, I want to be able to start taking that money out. Because when you put the money in a Roth IRA, you have to have that Roth IRA in an, in a Roth IRA for five years before you can take it out. Some people say, well, I'm going to start taking the money out in two years at 62. Well, then that's not a right answer for them. So I hope that helps your 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 question. It's Really more, when do you plan on taking this money out of the Roth IRA that determines uh, whether or not you want to start doing some conversions of it today? Okay. Does that help?
1: Yeah, it does. All right, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 715-845-2155. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with more. If you have a question from Earl, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present...
0: ...for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward looking statements that may not come true. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And, folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only.
1: And we're back in the studio. I'm Tom King, along with Merle Kelch, Kelch & Associates & Wassup. Earlier, you are talking about, uh, you know, investing and looking at companies that might have been under fire or under pressure and not performing well, and are they still a possible good investment. Saw a story today on CNBC that Bill Ford, the CEO of Ford Motor Company, is uh, quietly amassing more control of the automaker, acquire, acquiring more shares he directly owns 23% of the Class B shares for Ford, and uh, he's the company's biggest individual shareholder, and he's been buying more Ford stock recently. He apparently believes that Ford is not only uh, a strong investment at this point, but uh, going forward into the future, even with the popularity of electric cars and everything else, uh, that Ford is still a good investment. Is that is that the kind of thing you were talking about, a, an established company that maybe fell on some hard times, but... But it's still a good. And they're investment.
0: coming back. Even GameStop is this way recently, you know. And so these, you know, you look at the competition, you look at the product. What are they doing going forward? You know, a number of years ago, Tom. Um, in fact, it was I can actually tell you the year was two thousand eight. Um, I bought um, uh, two thousand shares of Ford, and I paid a dollar sixty a share for it. I don't own it anymore, but uh, but I bought it for a dollar sixty a share, and I think I kept it for two or three months. Uh, two or then three I sold months. It. That's it. I just sold it. For, it, it, it was a short term thing. I knew it was going to be. At $1.60 a share, you didn't have much to lose. Um, but I made enough in that few months to, to pay for a really nice Christmas for everybody. So it worked out really well. Well, now Ford's sitting at $25 a share, and I keep kicking myself, still <laughs> wishing that I had those 2,000 shares of Ford. Yeah. But yeah. at the time, if we look at it, and I'm just going to use this as an example, um, Ford at the time was one of the few companies and automakers that said, you know, we don't need to take any of the government stimulus money. We've already went through and done all of our stuff and renegotiated our contracts. We'll fine. We'll make it through. And, and so from that, um, I applaud them uh, because they did the right stuff. They made the right decisions to keep them going on without having to go through bankruptcy, which, of course, General Motors, as we know, did. Um, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to merge together with uh, other firms. Um, so so with it, I like seeing that sort of stuff. But now that's one we're looking at it, uh, what, 15 years later, um, and that stock is doing brilliantly. And you could have bought Ford for 7 bucks a share two years ago, folks. And the whole thing what Ford was doing is they're saying we're making – transitions into electric cars smaller vehicles profitable vehicles uh, and they've been making that transition for a long time and so it was a pretty good bet in fact uh, we had a client and he passed away and and uh, uh god bless him loved him uh, along the way he said what do you think about ford i said buy some more and he went what i said yeah i said buy some more ford i said there's nothing wrong with the company it's going to have its time i said but it's stick around we're gonna do it so uh, we went through, and he sold a couple of other things that he had that stunk. We went through; we doubled down on his uh, a number of Ford shares, and uh, and uh, he's sitting beautifully because the stock went up three times uh, the value since we did that.
1: All right, there are people listening right now going, "Okay, Merle, tell us what are the Fords that are out there today that are." Going I don't to... know. <laughs> <laughs> you must be doing research though on companies that you like at this point in time that are stressed. Distressed, whatever the word you want to use, that you think are going to bounce back in the next five to you ten know, years,
0: folks. Talk it, about sectors this, this if you don't is, have to I mean talk This, this about is what I do. And I, I drive my wife absolutely nuts uh, because she'll, well, you want to watch TV. No, I'm reading, and so when I'm reading um, every day, I probably read about two hours, maybe even three hours a day, and it's all all the financials. So I'm going through Market Watch, which we use for this program. I'm on, you know, Fox Business. I'm on uh, Bloomberg, and and I, I continually read. I always read. And the reason for this is every once in a while you have to have a, a, an idea of what's going on in the economy and the marketplace if you're going to do this and do the best we can do for clients. That's my opinion. And the radio show is one of the things that forces me to do that, and I'm better for it. So in, in doing this, you tend to run up across that was like, hey, huh, that looks pretty good. Now, I don't do a lot of individual stocks. That's, I'm not a stock slinger by trade on a daily basis. We like to do more retirement stuff. We're using more uh, mutual funds and that type of stuff in larger diversified portfolios. But I have a number of clients say, hey, what do you think about this stock? So I'll do some work on it, research on it. And I say, yeah, I like that one. I don't like that one give them my opinion. Um, so I get a lot of it. stuff that happens with that. Otherwise, I'll have a stock that we purchase for a client. They'll say, what's going on with that stock? And I'll hop and I'll do the research. Or maybe I read something from it and say, well, uh, let's double down. Let's do some more. Um, so we've done a bunch of that stuff over a while. Um, and, I, and I can't give recommendations, say run out and buy these. But there's a number of them that are out there that I think are going to be great coming up into the future. Um, uh, gambling stocks, by the way, uh, Jim Cramer's got one that he managed. It Says you know it's a it's going to be a tremendous stock. Uh, we had a few clients I mean, that as bought in some. in sports of them. gambling or as casinos? In online sports gambling. Yeah, uh, they keep coming up with new more and more licensing that's coming right. through. And this past year, their stock just took a tank over the course of about the last month or so, uh, last couple of months. And the reason is because they borrowed a bunch of money to expand their infrastructure because they had more states coming in, and now they just signed a contract with a gaming license with uh, New York where they can do it online. And so that sort of stuff pops up. You look at it and say, one, are they making money? Oh, yeah, they're making money. Um, And they're going to end up making more money in how they leverage themselves. And you look at this stuff and say, this is great. Well, their stock falls. And now, fortunately, this client of mine has been around for a long time, and I'm sure he's listening and cheers to you. He says, I think we should buy some more. I said, that's a great idea. So we've leveraged the stock price down. Um, quite a bit, and so when it goes back up again, he's going to be a really happy guy.
1: You have to be really bad at what you do to not make money uh, in the gambling industry, right? I mean, uh, it, it, it would it would seem to be anyway. And well, when you're when you're yeah, doing all yeah, your reading, yeah. uh, do you do it new school by uh, if you see something you liked, making a note uh, on your phone, or do you have post-it notes all over your house, all over the office, with little notes written? To oh yourself? God, I
0: clip pictures of articles. It's, it's terrible. So I'll be on my phone looking at something. Oh, then I'll go to the iPad and I'll look at something there, and then I'll. Clip the article there, clip the article there, and it's it's terrible. I I drive my wife crazy with it.
1: All right, we need to take a break for some news. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. know
0: that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed.
1: Ground Alliance. And we're back in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch & Associates in Wausau. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155 if you have a question for Merle. Obviously, inflation is still a word that we're hearing a lot about, and, of course, the Fed is going to deal with that by raising interest rates here at some point in time. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that, and where are we going?
0: Well, you know, a lot of the volatility we're seeing inside of the marketplace is as a result of what's the Fed going to do. Is the Fed going to increase interest rates? And the answer is yes. How many really becomes a question at this point in time. So we're seeing the volatility of that in Russia over the course of the last couple of weeks, bouncing around the marketplace. So if you've been in a marketplace... uh, and you looked up in the morning and said, geez, the market's really, really down. Wait till noon because it seems to change that fast lately. But there's an article that's in here by Mark DeCambrae. And one of the things I, I liked inside of the article is he talked about what happens with interest rates in the marketplace um, uh, over time. And obviously, the, the general idea is that interest rates are cut when the economy is, is weak um, to try to bolster the economy and get it going. And likewise, when the economy is, is, is viewed as too hot in regards to inflationary pressures going up, um, interest rates uh, tend to go up to try to slow down that inflation and start creating a problem. And that's the, been the mandate of the Federal Reserve for a long, long time. And, of course, inflation and full employment is their their mandate, what they try to get done. So what he did in here, uh, Mark the cameras, he went back and said, okay, if we took a look at interest rate um, increase cycles as we went along, and guess what? Uh, the markets go up when the interest rates go up as well, uh, may not be quite at the same degree up, but they also still tend to go up. Obviously, a few times there they didn't, but... Um, largely, it's okay, but the biggest thing we have to look at is we're probably not going to see these big double-digit rates of returns that we've seen for the last two years. So, inevitably, I'll have somebody come up to me and say, "Well, I'm going to average, the, you know, 12% of my rate of return on my portfolio or 15% because look what we've done the last two years." Well, no, the answer is eh, it's not going to work that way. So, the average on a portfolio, diversified stock and bond, is probably eight to 10%, and they, we we drive at that or arrive at that by taking the S&P 500 to bond marketplace. And if you do a 60-40 mix, uh, you're going to come out between 8 and 10% since 1926 to date. So with it, uh, our rate of return is really more single digits, not double as time goes on for an average, but we've just been really spoiled, all of us, the last couple of years. It's been just great to see these tremendous rates of returns. It's been fantastic. Um, but even in a rising interest rate environment, uh, the stock market still generally makes money, but not as much. Uh, then we have a falling uh, uh, interest rate because we start having cheaper money to spread around. And that's probably one of the biggest things to note. So the question becomes is, does the interest rate rise to a point that it creates a recessionary period of time or a slowdown in the economy where we might have a negative couple of quarters or maybe a year in our rate of return? And that's really all the the posturing we're seeing happening over the course of the last few weeks. My opinion, probably going to go for a few more weeks, too, until we see a Federal Reserve actually saying, Yep, we're increasing interest rates or they're going to stop this or something of that nature. So this might be a small taper tantrum, as I said, uh, unlike the big taper tantrum we had uh, many years ago.
1: So just ride it out, no major changes to your portfolio in this situation?
0: Pardon me. I I really don't see any reason to do that. Um, The economy continues to keep moving along. Even if we take a look at the rates of returns, and I'm gonna I'm gonna probably get my uh, name incorrect, and so I'll, I'll just do it. But there's a couple of different ways we can look at. I'm sorry, not rates of returns, job rates. We have the uh, non-farm payrolls, of course, which were down. They're expected to be some four hundred thousand or some uh, two hundred thousand. Uh, but there's a civilian calculation, the civilian payrolls, and and those have actually been up and up, very very strong. And the and the two of them. Um, as was reading this morning, will tend to um, almost mirror each other if you look at it in longer spans of time over the course of six months or a year. But in certain short months, it'll miss parts in there. It'll miss jobs. And one of the reasons in theory this happens is because of um, uh, new startups, entrepreneurs, small businesses opening up. Because in those instances, those jobs don't get counted inside of non-farm payrolls. And it looks like the small entrepreneur is coming back. It looks like that small entrepreneur is coming back in a big way. And if that's the case, we're missing it, which is probably one of the reasons we're still seeing corporate profits and expansion inside of the economy going on, even though we're seeing inflation going up. Um, So all those bad news is happening. We still get back down to the core and say, what do our numbers look like? The economy continues to keep moving forward. According to Brian Westbury, he still continues to see a a profitable year this year and the stock market going up with uh, uh, nothing else in the middle of it other than if something happens with Russia or some of those unforeseen events.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. We've got the situation with Russia and Ukraine and NATO and the United States and the West are, are, are all saying there will be, quote-unquote, uh, harsh economic sanctions. What does that mean? I know it, it means probably more to Europe because they get a lot of their gas from, uh, from Russia— What does it mean to the United States if there are harsh economic sanctions placed on Russia? As long as the shooting doesn't start and we don't get into a shooting or a proxy war in in different places again around the world. Uh,
0: Economic sanctions, I don't know how much we're we're getting from Russia. Does that make any sense? Um, um, I don't know what we're buying from Russia and how that would affect us on the bottom line. I'm not saying good or bad. I just don't know the answer to that one. You know, China, we know. We buy a lot of stuff from China, but we don't sell a lot of stuff from China. And there's other places that we can replace that from. So I don't know about that from a Russian standpoint, but I'm guessing um, not a ton, not that it really affect us a ton. But our um, our allies in NATO um, are probably getting a lot of stuff from Russia, and I think it would really affect them. But at the same time, Russia's getting a lot from them. You know, Right now, Russians' fuel has to go through uh, Ukraine to get to Germany to be resold, and I think that's the whole backbone of this thing is Ukraine's charging them, and they're getting tired of having to pay for their pipelines going through Ukraine. It's my guess. So they're trying to build a pipeline that's going to go directly from Russia into Germany. Um, and I think if they do this, they're going to stop and say, well, you're not building a pipeline anymore, and I think that'll have that same effect. And so I think there's leverage in both directions. We just don't hear about that part uh, with the pipeline that's coming through Germany. You know,
1: I I almost hate to bring this up, but it, it, it really is a, a part of the equation in that war is always or almost always good for economies in the short run until all the destruction and death happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would imagine there are some business people around the world who make their profits on armed conflict that are hoping for some sort of confrontation between the West and Russia. Um, how does that all play into it? Because I would imagine those are probably some heavy hitters when it comes to financial <laughs> there, there, processes around
0: the world. Um, sadly, there's truth in it. Um, you know, nobody wants a hurricane, but when a hurricane hits, it causes a mess. And then the benefit becomes in it from a business standpoint is we have to replace all the stuff that just got wiped out. So we have to build new homes, sticks. Blumber. Whatever the, the case may be. that's
1: the act of God, though. That we really, we don't, we don't really have control over hurricanes, unless you want to believe that climate change. Completely is causing true. But some here's my point:
0: is what happens then if a war or a skirmish or something like that breaks out? It does the same thing. Granted, we're doing it um, uh, because we're humans and and uh, probably being dumb that we could have negotiated. But it has that same effect. Um, destruction happens. Um, weapons get blown up. Things have to get replaced. Things have to get rebuilt. Stuff has to get together. Um, and it tends to have that same type of an effect. So, uh, good, bad, or indifferent—that's um, what ends up occurring. So, so with it, um, will it drive business up if something happens? Probably someplace. Um, uh, hopefully not. I mean, why, why lose a life over something we can just uh, get settled out? Or why not just let Putin and Biden just get together and duke it out a little bit? <laughs> Maybe play uh, some sort of
1: uh, game to uh, decide on some I'm of these okay things? I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'll, even,
0: uh, I'll even pull up uh, an app on my phone and, and do some betting on it.
1: <laughs> we were discussing that <laughs> earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 715-845-2155 is the number call here. If you have a question for Merle, we got a little uh, worldwide there. We we don't want to talk always about the the big ideas and the big topics. We want to get a little bit more provincial and talk about your portfolio, your investments, uh, your preparations for retirement, all of those things. That's why Merle's here. I see the phone is lighting up, so let's go back to the phone here. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, this is John. Hey, John, morning, you're John. Go ahead. Hey, Merle, I got a question for you. Um, given the fact that the markets are you know, setting record highs every day, the equity markets, I'm I'm saying, Uh and the likelihood of maybe like a black swan event, which is kind of what you guys are talking about now. What do you think about uh, inflation-indexed U.S. Treasury bonds? Uh, I saw something recently where they're yielding uh,
0: 7%. Yeah, they're pretty good right now. And...
1: I'm not sure if the 7% is right. I think that's accurate. But, you know, for older investors, peck uh, a 7% yield, uh, that'll double every 10 years.
0: Um, it will. Um, but that's assuming, of course, inflation's at the same place. So so in here...
1: Okay, Merle, I'm going to hang up. I'm yep. going to hang up and I'm going to
0: listen to All you. All right, thanks okay. for the call. So so um, I-bonds is the column, inflation index bonds. Um, It can be really, really good, but there's actually a time in there where the index bonds um, had a a negative rate of return because inflation was so low. So, boy, it's it's been a long time, uh, John, since I've had to go through and memorize all the stuff once again with I-bonds. And it has been, so I apologize because there's some stuff in here that I just haven't used them in so long because they just didn't make us any money. So it's been a while. Um, But the I-bonds are really good right now. And that's because you have a base interest rate, and then you have the inflation index that goes on top. And so right now they're paying a great rate of return. Um, but this, the difficulty comes in if we're saying, well, geez, if I'm going to buy the bonds now, I'm going to be able to hold them for 10 years and get 7%. It doesn't work that quite that way. We're getting a base rate plus whatever the inflation might be on the inside to get that rate of return for a certain period of time. There's something else with them, too, I think. And again, John, I'm going from memory here, but I think if we buy them, we have to hold them for five years, I think it is. I could be wrong, and and I'll be the first to admit that I think it is. But there's something else with that that they're not liquid. You don't like being that illiquid, do you? With investments, I don't like illiquidity if I don't if I don't have to. Um, you know, there's there's a thing going on in the annuity marketplace, and I don't like it because it's forcing people to become illiquid using annuities, and it's kind of driving me nuts a little bit. And I'll, I'll share my story with that. But the reason I don't like being illiquid is because things happen, just as we were talking about. Does Russia invade or not? Uh, You know, those types of things. Things happen, and we like to have the ability to to move money around in the industry. Um, uh, It it makes sense. So i got to share a story with you. I'll tell you what. Hold that
1: story. We're going to take a break here, and we can come back, and you can tell your story after our break. Uh, Phone lines are still open. If you have a question from Earl, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day. Here's Chris Connolly. When World War One started, the U.S. wasn't prepared to manage... ADHD.com for additional information. That's more to ADHD.com. This message has been brought to you in partnership with Ada, ACO, and Chad.
0: The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, Consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward looking statements that may not come true. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And, folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only.
1: And we're back here in the studio. We have a few minutes left. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call 715 845 2155. You had promised us a story before the break, and I'd forgotten what the story was going
0: to be about, but you said, you you know, the the mind is the second thing to go.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed.
0: So, we're talking about illiquidity and uh, how you don't like holding funds to, you know, uh, have them uh, uh, not be able to be used in case something happens. So, I just got to tell a story of what's happened in the annuity industry. And, folks, I've been doing this for 30-some years. I think I'm at 32 or 33, somewhere in the middle there. But um, in here, when we first started out in the industry, um, the industry hated if you used annuities that had long surrender charges, you know, this uh, 7, 10-year stuff. You couldn't have that. And so they said to make it better so that clients wouldn't lose their liquidity, you had to have annuities that were a lot shorter. So for a long period of time, we'd actually use annuities that had zero um, uh, uh, surrender charges in them. So what happened in the insurance industry? What they would do is on the inside they'd make the internal fees and up a three quarters of a percent higher or something of that nature, and that's part of the compensation for the insurance company. Because by the way, folks, insurance companies don't make money on annuities for usually three or four years by the time they have all their expenses. So they don't make money on those companies right, or those types of products right away. So the in- industry, of course, increased the price a little bit because they're making it so they're li- Ill- or com- complete, com- they make it so that they're completely liquid, not illiquid. So then as the years go on, somebody said, well, geez, now fees are all too high, so you can't have fees. And, and so I'm a big proponent of saying I'm not really so concerned about fees as much as I'm concerned about what does the bottom line look like? Are we making money? I mean, that's the best thing. You can have the cheapest fees in the world on a particular product, and if you're losing money, it doesn't do you any good. So so now what go through the industry, and uh, you try to do some annuities. They said, well, I, you know, I prefer to use the ones that have, you know, complete liquidity to them. And they said, well, you can't do that. Well, why? Because what you're doing, it uh, the fees are too high. Okay, so we'll reduce the fees. Well, to do that, you have to have a, a five-year surrender charge. Well, why? There's none on it now. We're just going to increase the product and make the product better. Well, you have to do that, and you have to take a commission. What? Because if we went from the other one from uh, you know completely liquid to completely liquid, there wasn't any new commissions. There was no commissions involved in doing it. It's sound like the brokers had a good another. lobby to set those laws up. No, it's it's all about uh, a FINRA and a Securities Exchange Commission. Um, uh, they want to have it so that we have the lowest fees possible. Low fees, low fees. But what about liquidity? And and so the whole industry seems to be spun on its head. So, by the way, I'm a fan of saying have as much liquidity as you can. Um, and If your portfolios are set up, you're going to have liquid investments as well as you have investments that may be inside of annuities or may not be in that set of annuities that are going to be illiquid in nature. Um, but you have to make sure you have that. But it, the whole industry is kind of changing on that stuff. It's it's getting a little crazy. Sounds like if people want to get involved in those, they need to talk to a financial professional financial like you. Financial professional, <laughs> yes. Well, we're, um, out of, if we're out of time for today. If folks really? want to, want to oh, talk oh, to you on Monday, how can they do that? Uh, Monday, Dr. Martin Luther King Day. But we will be in the office nonetheless, even though the market's closed. So give us a call, 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street. I'm sorry, come in, 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street. Have a cup of coffee. Give us a call locally, 715-849-3600, outside of the Wausau area at 866-355-5100, or find us online at kelchandassociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again down the road. See you next week. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates
1: here in Wausau. We've got the uh, news on the way. The Polka Show is coming up as well, and tonight it'll be Badger hockey. The Badgers coming off a win over Michigan State last night, 5-2, and they'll be playing the Spartans again down in Madison at the Kohl Center, and we'll have all of the action for you right here. Pre-game show at 7.30 on WSAU.